Today we're going to start a four-week series on the subject of mental health, anxiety, and depression called Fix My Mind. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like my mind is broken. And for some reason, though, Christians don't really like to talk about our minds a lot. We like to talk about our heart, we like to talk about our soul, but we don't often talk about our minds. But Mark 12, 30 says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus here told us to love God with our hearts and our soul and our mind. Now, much like it's hard to explain the Trinity, right? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's also hard to explain a person. Where does one part of us begin and another part of us end? It's not as easy as that. We're, we're different parts, but we're also one. And again, in churches, we like to emphasize our hearts and our souls, but we don't talk about our mind. But our mind is the process of our thinking and our intellect. Now, some pieces of who we are, they're almost impossible to change. Just ask your wife what that is if you, ha- uh, you know, have any issues. She knows probably. Uh, but our minds change all the time, right? See, our brain is actually built over time. And it starts at birth. And then it grows and it changes. And our brain develops. And it makes all these connections. And these connections are called neural pathways. And for for the first few years of our lives, our brain makes a million or so of these connections a second. A million or so connections a second. Babies are amazing. They are learning machines. But as time passes, the brain continues to make these connections, but eventually it starts to simplify this process and it prunes these neural pathways and, and it takes those routes that are too long and it cuts those routes and it makes it shorter they take shortcuts and we begin to think in patterns in other uh, in other words we no longer uh, the longer that we live the easier it is to think thoughts that we have thought before and the harder it is for us to think new thoughts and change our mind And that's why they have that phrase, you can finish it, you can't teach an old dog. That's right. Why? Because because you begin to think in patterns. And we begin to see things a certain way, and it's hard for us to change our minds the longer that we live. Now, this can be a great thing if your thinking is healthy. But this can be very bad for us if our mind is unhealthy and negative or paranoid or insecure or untrusting or scared. It's easy for us to get stuck in mental ruts and thought patterns and jumping to conclusions and feeling like we already know the answer as soon as we get into a situation and spiraling out. Sometimes our minds work against us. Now, this may surprise you, but I am not a doctor. (laughs) Just like our bodies need doctors, our brains need doctors too because our brains are part of our body, right? 
So I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with mental illness or chronic issues, please reach out to a doctor, talk to someone, and don't put it off. And there are a couple myths about mental health that have really hurt people in our churches. And a sermon series by Craig Groeschel helped me a lot with this outline, as well as books by Kerry Newhoff and Andy Stanley and Pete Gregg. But for many years in the church, there's been a stigma around mental health. And there is even the opinion that a good Christian won't have mental health issues. You might have even heard that if you have crippling anxiety, that automatically means that you aren't praying enough. Or if you struggle with depression, that means you just don't have enough faith. Now, there definitely are spiritual connections, and there can be a spiritual component to anxiety and depression, along with other mental disorders. And we'll deal with that aspect of these issues in this series. But there is no doubt that there is a psychological component to many of these instances as well. Now, when someone becomes a follower of Jesus that has two broken legs, we don't immediately roll them off their wheelchair and tell them to get up and push them on the floor, right? No, that would be cruel. Sure, God does heal people, and he can heal people immediately, but that isn't normally the way that God works today. So we just don't tell a person with broken legs that they don't have enough faith, and we shouldn't tell someone that struggles with mental health that either. Why? Because I'm not a doctor. And when you come to Jesus, it doesn't automatically mean that you become mentally healthy any more than you immediately lose the 50 pounds that you need to lose, right? Things don't automatically get fixed just because we become a follower of Jesus. Now, I wish it was that way because our minds are important. And it can be a real struggle when our mind is working against us. And life can be tough if we are chronically negative. Have you ever met someone like that, that just everything they see is a bad thing? The stock market goes up and they say, oh, well, just wait. You know, it's a sunny day. Well, I saw next week is going to rain, though. It's like, you do just enjoy where you're at right now. Right? And, and to be chronically negative is a problem because our mindset, we have been negative, and the more that we are negative, the easier it is to be negative, and the harder it is to see the positive. And our minds are important. Our mental health affects how we relate to people and how we handle joy and, how, and whether or not we can really stay happy for any uh, a period of time. It affects how we look at our life. Our mental health might even push us to seek temporary comfort from places and things and people that will hurt us in the long run. And it might feel good right now and distract us for the minute, but in the long run, it's going to cause more problems. But what I want you to know today is that you can love Jesus and still have depression. And you can read your Bible and pray every day and still have trauma in your past that is affecting your present. We saw not long ago in our When We Pray series that Elijah struggled with depression, even to the point where he said that he wished that he would die. He was being chased by King Ahab and Jezebel, and he saw no hope. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. 
He declared God's truth, but he struggled with loneliness and insecurity and even cursed the day that he was born. That's not mentally healthy, right? That sounds like a rough place to be. If you see, uh, read the Psalms, you see David at times pouring out his heart about how he feels alone and helpless. There's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations to lament. But I thought when we come into church, we're all supposed to, you know, be happy and whistle in a tune and, you know. No, we have a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. But if we aren't careful, we can believe that myth that Jesus' people don't have depression and anxiety or that God doesn't care about your mental health. And neither of those things are true. I never thought that I would be someone that would struggle with mental health. I'm too logical, right? I'll just figure it all out. Emotional. Everybody's just emotional that has those issues. But eight years ago, I went through one of the toughest periods of my life. I was working at a church as a youth pastor. The youth group was going amazing. I was having the time of my life. It wouldn't be weird for us to have 100 students on a Wednesday night. It was fun. It was fulfilling. I had deep personal relationships with them. They were coming to know Christ and getting discipled deep in their faith. It was awesome. And there are plenty of times when I see uh, the pictures pop up on Facebook that I wish I could time travel back and spend a few days there. But there was a situation in the church that was unrelated to the youth group that was brought to me by some of my students. They had witnessed some things and they had some questions and they were confused. My wife had also witnessed some part of this situation and there was compelling evidence that there was infidelity in church leadership. And I felt like there was no way that I could avoid confronting this situation. So I did what I was taught. And I tried to stand up for what was right, even though it was hard. And it wasn't perfect, and I didn't handle everything probably the right way. But church leadership dismissed it completely. And they, and they didn't look into the situation at all, and they didn't barely let me talk, and they swept it under the rug. And not only that, I was made out to be a bad guy for bringing it up and rocking the boat. And this was a very difficult situation that made my job very stressful. Doing what is right is very important to my personality, and it's hard for me to ignore when people dismiss hard issues. My stress level was through the roof. I would come home, and I would sit in my recliner, and I would gaze off into the distance my eyes twitched uncontrollably to the point that it was sometimes hard to see. I wouldn't sleep uh, great at night, but I would sleep a lot during the day. I couldn't get motivated to play with my kids. I felt like there was a weight on my chest all the time, like I couldn't breathe. Low-level panic was always there. Pastor Bill, you're a pastor, though. You can't have feelings like that. You can't you're just supposed to have more faith. You should pray more. I was praying the most maybe I've ever prayed in my life. And in that moment, I didn't really know what was going on. I went to the doctor. I told him I had no energy and that my eyes wouldn't stop twitching. I got some blood tests done. But eventually, he told me this was severe stress and it was causing anxiety and depression. I sought counsel from godly men. I prayed. I read my Bible. I took these long walks in the woods uh, alone, just seeking God's face, but I just couldn't shake it. 
And I've always struggled with my mind racing and spiraling, but I can normally pull myself out of it. And this situation kind of broke my mind in that way. And it took a long time to pull myself out of that. The doctor helped, my faith helped, my wife and friends helped. But these issues are real. And it is offensive when you look at somebody and tell them that they have feelings that aren't real. And the Psalms are amazing things to read and pray when your mental health isn't great. The Lord is my shepherd. He, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And even when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he saves those that are brokenhearted. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He is our ever-present help in a time of trouble. But there are a few other psalms that aren't so uplifting. Psalms that are raw and guttural and desperate, like Psalms 88. This psalm is written by one of the sons of Korah named Heman. Not He-Man, that was somebody else. You go ahead and turn in your Bibles. There should be a Bible right there in front of you. I want you to look at this because we're going to read this whole chapter. It's not that long. But Psalms 88. It's in the back half of your Bible. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. But Heman was the grandson of the prophet of, uh, named Samuel. And he was one of the musicians appointed by King David which is a very special position in the kingdom of Israel. Now, Heman had 14 sons and three daughters. It's a lot of kids. Not only that, they all played instruments in the temple of God. Harps and lyre and cymbals and, and all those different things. A family worship band, right? I bet they had matching sweaters and everything. But he was a person to be looked up to in this faith community. He was a man that loved God. But this psalm that he wrote is one of the only psalms out of 150 psalms that doesn't have a happy ending or a resolution. He is desperate in this passage. He is broken and hopeless and depressed. So we see here in verse 1, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am so in trouble, God, I feel like I'm going to die. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, who you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit. Have you ever had questions for God and why you're in the position that you're in? You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavy on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends, and you've made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do the spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness and your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But 
I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes to you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I've suffered and been close to death. I've borne your terrors, and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Bet none of you have this chapter as your favorite chapter. You don't have it on your wall. It's stitched in, on a bumper sticker. This is desperation. If you heard someone talking like this, you would know this person needs help. Martin Marty says Psalms 88 is a wintry landscape of unrelieved bleakness. Heman feels alone. Defeated, buried, stuck, and overwhelmed. And God put this in the Bible. He didn't put this, didn't just like accidentally slip in with all the other Psalms. There's a reason and a purpose for this. He feels stuck and desperate. But even in all of this, even when all he can see is darkness, he still continually turns his mind towards God. He didn't see hope. He wasn't getting relief, but he kept turning his mind to God. Even when he didn't see a way out, he forced his mind to rest on God, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. And he's not sure in this verse is God is the one that is doing it to him. And maybe you felt that way. Now, we made it clear, look, you might need a, a medical doctor. Please don't hesitate. Get help. But also, fix your mind on God. Why? Because we can change our minds. Our minds are always growing and becoming new. And, and force your mind to continually put your hope in God, even when you don't find relief, even when it's not looking like you're getting out of this situation, continually point your mind towards God, creating new neural pathways and resting in your Father's arms. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and in your mind. And it says this, it says, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads. Now, the people of Israel would have literally uh, put scripture in little boxes on their foreheads and, and on their left hand. Here's a picture of what that might look like. They would put these little scrolls and put them in this little box and they would fix them on their head and on their hand. And these are called phylacteries. And they took this maybe a little bit more literal than intended right? But the message is clear. Bathe your mind in scripture. Fix these words in my mind because you can literally change your mind and you can make your mind different. Not just writing verses down and putting them on boxes or different places, but hiding them deep in your heart, retraining your brain to trust him, renewing your mind. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind 
is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. When our minds continually and habitually go back to the truth of who God is and how he feels about us, it can change our minds. It can change our thinking and our thought patterns. Here Isaiah says perfect peace is available when we fix our minds on the goodness of God and trust him. Now the word in Hebrew for peace is shalom. You've probably heard that before, shalom. But here in the English, when they translated this, they said perfect peace. Because in the Hebrew, in this original verse, in this original text, it actually says shalom, shalom. But he, and they do that here for emphasis, because it's more than just peace. You remember back in your school days where you might tell someone, no, I mean, I like you like you, right? That meant something more, something deeper. And if I came up after church and told you, look, I love you, love you, you would probably think that I was weird and you'd never come back. But here we see it says peace, peace is available to us when we fix our minds on the Lord. Shalom also means more than just the absence of pain. It's also the presence of something. Sometimes when we think of peace, we think of a just nothingness. But that's not what it is here. It is a presence of something. It's a completeness and a wholeness. And our shalom breaks down when something is missing. But God brings shalom, shalom when we fix our mind on him. Now, the word fix in the English has two different Meanings. It means to lock on to something, right? You can fix on something, like a train is on in a fixed direction. And you can also repair something that is broken. That means to, to fix the lock, right? And when we fix our mind on the Lord, He can fix our mind. When we fix our mind on the Lord, He can fix our mind. And when we push our thoughts to focus on him and who he is, he can make our minds healthier and help our thoughts to thrive, retraining our brains to trust him. Now, again, do all the solutions. This doesn't mean only do this, but do this. We can't ignore the spiritual side of these issues. God can bring you the place of shalom, shalom, and perfect peace. Jesus wants you to have that today because life won't always be easy, but he wants you to trust in him. Don't feel guilty if your mind isn't healthy. Don't allow yourself to recoil into yourself because this stuff is, uh, there is an amazing help when you reveal this stuff to the light and you tell someone about it, and you talk to somebody about it, it loses some of its power when we stop hiding these issues and begin to talk about them. Seek out all the options for help. We can retrain our brains, and we can make our minds healthier when we fix our mind on God. And today, you might feel alone, but Jesus sees you struggling. 
And his eyes don't look at you today in disappointment. He wants to help. He wants to step into this situation. He said this in John 14, 27. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We're going to talk about this subject for the next three Sundays. I'm going to work through some stuff, some hard stuff. And over the next weeks, I would love for you to find some people in your life that are struggling with these issues and invite them. Ask them to watch this first sermon and, and then invite them next week. It's serious stuff. And, and, and please look, if you ever feel like you're in a state that you're going to hurt yourself, please reach out to a professional. But today, the message is this, that Jesus' people still suffer with their minds. Now, one day we won't. But for now, know this, that Jesus cares and he wants to offer you peace, peace. And I pray that peace comes to you in an instant. That would be amazing and God can do it. But more than likely, it's going to come by continually fixing our minds on the truth of who God is and how he feels about us. And stop believing that we can fix every solution and stop believing that we can figure it all out and begin to train our brains to rest on him and train our brains to not fear and to instead trust in God that he is in control and that he is good. We can fix our minds on the truth of who God is and how he feels about us. There's not a single person in this room that wouldn't receive help if we would do this. Now, you might need other solutions too. It might need to be the fact that you need more sleep as well. It might be the fact that you need to be healthier in how you eat. There's lots of solutions to these problems, but this will always help. Because you can't avoid this spiritual side of who we are. And if we'll begin to make a habit of changing our minds from negative thoughts to the truth of Scripture, maybe getting counseling, maybe medicine, but definitely making new neural pathways to change your mind to be more healthy. Get help of all kinds, but seek His face. Because when we fix our mind on the Lord, He can fix our minds. You keep him in peace, peace, whose mind is stayed on you. With every head bowed and eye closed, take a minute here just to practice this. Pushing your mind towards the fact that God is good he is just, and he is true, and that there are lies out there that are easy for us to believe, but that we want to cut through that truth and to put our faith in him. Maybe right now what you need to call out to God about is say, God, I have some negative thought patterns. I am just always negative. Or I'm always paranoid and I'm always seeing things that aren't there. 
See, these fears and anxieties and paranoia and insecurity, these things can cause us to lash out and hurt people. And that's not the way that Christ would have us to live. That's not living by his example. If you see a just trail of wreckage behind you, of broken relationships and times that you've offended people, this is probably a big part of what you need to do. Retrain your brain to think differently. You can't fix every situation. You don't have all the solutions. And no matter how much you worry, no matter how much you fear, it doesn't change it. You've got to come to a place and come to a point where you say, God, this morning I'm going to give this over to you. And keep giving it over. And keep giving it over. And bathe your mind in Scripture. And all the things that God tells us are true. I'm going to talk to just a few people in the room today. As the rest of us continue to pray and to seek God's face and to, to fix our mind on Him and the goodness of God. Maybe you're here today and you haven't yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Well, this is the first step of becoming more healthy in our minds. Because if you believe that you can be good enough, if you believe that you can do it without God, if you believe that you don't need Him, it's all thinking that will hurt your mind. Because it's not true. You didn't create yourself. The Bible says that we can't add an inch to our stature. We can't number our hairs. God knows it all. But see, we have a problem. The problem is called sin, and that's when we do something contrary to God's word. We lie, or we cheat, or we steal, or we say wicked thoughts, or we have wicked thoughts, we say wicked things, hurt people around us. All these things drive a wedge between us and God. You might say, well, I'm not that bad, but one offense is enough. And every person that has ever lived since the very beginning has made the choice to do things our way instead of his way. And God gave us a free will. He didn't want us to be robots. He gave us the choice, but he wants us to choose him. And you can do that today right now. You've got to understand that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh, an equal part of the Trinity, walked this earth. He lived a perfect and a holy life, never once sinned, so that God could die in our place for us. An innocent person dying for all of us guilty people. We just celebrated that on Good Friday as he allowed himself to be crucified and die a horrific death so that he might take on all our sin. The Bible says he became sin who knew no sin. Jesus took our sin upon himself. And he did this so that we might become the sons of God. And that's what we celebrate on Easter is the resurrection that he defeated sin and the grave. And he can do that up for us too. And that's as simple as it is. 
not working your way to heaven, uh, it, it, and not church membership or doing good deeds or giving money or, or even baptism, communion, none of those things, although they might be good, are what can get us to God. It's what he already did on the cross. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin, uh, sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Why don't you call out to God? If you've never done that today, you can do it right now. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. The words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, I have disobeyed you over and over. But God, I put my faith in what your son did on the cross save me. God, forgive me all that I've done. I repent and I put my faith in what you did on the cross is the only thing to get me to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. That's you today. That's an amazing thing. This is the start of of a beautiful adventure. I'd love for you to write that on your connection card if you can, and Pastor Scott or I will follow up with you. You can write, I choose Jesus. Write that on your connection card and hand it in. Give us a way to contact you. I'd love to be able to follow up with what's next. It's the most amazing thing that you'd ever do. Hey, Jesus, we love you. God, I pray you begin to start this process of us continually and habitually changing our thought patterns from the negative and from the, uh, the depressed and the uh, anxious and all these patterns that we've made and fallen into. God, help us to begin to fight against these and not just to accept it. Help us to fix our mind on you so that you can fix our mind. In your name we pray. Amen.